In 2010, the rapper Jay-Z wrote and published a memoir. A couple of years later, one of his readers sued him for plagiarism of his own memoir. This is sadly not uncommon. Copyright trolls are a real threat for anyone wanting to make money as an author. The penalty in U.S. law for copyright infringement is up to $150,000 plus court fees per infringement. This can quickly turn into millions of dollars of liability. And if you don't have $150,000 on hand, the copyright troll could seize your car, your investments, and in some states, even take away your house. Publishing a book can open you up to millions of dollars of liability. And this is true even if the book itself is not a financial success. A book you only made a few thousand dollars with can still lead to a lawsuit that could bankrupt your whole family. And here's the crazy part. You don't need to actually infringe on someone's copyright. You just need to lose the lawsuit. (laughs) That's all that it takes. Yes, Virginia, copyright trolls are real, and they make millions of dollars suing authors and musicians in court. So how do you fight a troll? How do you protect yourself from this kind of liability? Keep listening to find out. But spoiler, it has to do with LLCs. This episode is for indie and traditional authors, both published and unpublished. Author Media presents Novel Marketing, the longest-running book marketing podcast in the world. I'm the Vulcan of book marketing, Thomas Umstadt Jr., and this is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, change the world with writing worth talking about, and stay out of court. (laughs) So, now, before we get into the meat of this episode, I do need to say that I am not a lawyer and I am not a CPA. The famous Tom Umstadt CPA is not me. That is my dad. So we often get confused, but we're different people. Now, I did go to business school and I did take an entire semester long class on LLCs. And I'll be sharing a lot of what I learned in that class in this episode. I've also started a couple of LLCs myself. So I do know about this topic, but I am not a CPA. And I'll be summarizing a semester's worth of education into a 30-minute or maybe an hour-long episode. We'll see how it goes. So I'll be glossing over a lot. So everything I say is going to have an asterisk with the details getting complicated. And with anything related to taxes and law, uh, the details can get very technical very quickly. So this is meant to be a general education to familiarize yourself with the general laws, and it is not meant to replace specialized advice from an attorney or a CPA about your specific situation. Don't take general training as a replacement for specialized advice. And I should also say uh, we're going to be talking about American law in this episode. I don't think this episode will be very helpful if you're an international author, unless you make most of your money in the United States. I do know some international authors, they make most of their money selling to Americans and they do form an American LLC. But if that's you, you definitely need to talk to an attorney or a CPA uh, because the international element makes it more complicated. So with all those disclaimers out of the way, Let's talk about what is an LLC. Uh, The short answer is an LLC is a limited liability company. So what is a limited liability company? Well, to answer that question, let me go back in time and tell you where companies came from or where the modern corporation came from. 
500 years ago, the hot business of the day was international shipping. If you could afford to put together a crew and build a ship, you could send it to the Far East and it would come back with spices worth a life-changing fortune. But it could also sink or get attacked by trolls, I mean pirates. (laughs) So there was a lot of risk in international shipping. So as a way to reduce risk, merchants started banding together into companies. Now, the word company uh, comes from, uh, it's like a a military term, right? It's a team of soldiers marching together. They're companions. And a company is a legal entity or an artificial person. In the eyes of the law, a company can own property. The company would own the ship, not the merchants. The company can sue and be sued. So instead of 10 merchants, each owning a single ship, they would form a company that they each owned 10% of, and that company had 10 ships. So while one ship might sink, it's unlikely that they would all sink or get attacked by pirates. And the company could be profitable even while sending ships that not all of which would return. Now, here's what's interesting about companies and corporations is that unlike humans, companies can live forever until they are killed. They are a bit like the elves of Middle Earth in this way. They're immortal until they are killed. And just like the elves fought the trolls, companies protect you from evil copyright trolls. So how do you fight copyright trolls? You do it with a company. Now, there are many kinds of legal entities that you can form to protect you from copyright trolls. These include trusts, S-corps, C-corps, LLPs, and more. But the kind of company that the vast majority of authors form, both traditionally published and independently published, is the LLC. And you'll find out why as we go and we talk about it. Uh, LLCs are by far the best option for almost all authors. And that's why we're going to focus on LLCs. So why get an LLC? Well, the primary reason is for liability protection. Now, liability protection, I realize, is jargony. And this episode's going to have jargon. There's just no way around it. But let me explain it with a very ancient proverb from King Solomon. He said, the rich can pay a ransom for their lives, but the poor won't even get threatened. Now, what is true for kidnappers is also true in court. You want to either be wealthy enough to win every lawsuit or be so poor that no one wants to sue you in the first place. And what is special about an LLC is that it allows you to be legally poorer than you really are by keeping your assets in separate pockets. So when somebody sues you for copyright infringement, they can only go after the pocket that has the book in it and the money that the book has brought in. They only go after the LLC. They can't also reach into your retirement pocket and your house pocket, etc. This is a really powerful form of protection because it makes you an unappealing target for the trolls to go after. Right. If there are 10 bicycles all locked up and all of them have one lock on them and the other bicycle, the final bicycle has two locks, right? The thief isn't going to go after the bicycle with two locks because it's just more hassle. If someone sued your LLC for copyright infringement, they could only go after the assets of the LLC, which isn't going to be a whole lot, right? It's the intellectual property of your book, which is really valuable to you, the author, but it's not very valuable to somebody else, right? If a copyright troll were to take the intellectual property of your book, try to take away the copyright of your book, they would then have to sell your book to make money with it, which 
since they're not the author and you could share your side of the story for why you, sh- you know, somebody shouldn't buy their book uh, would not be an appealing target. I, they don't sue copyright trolls. Well, they're called copyright trolls and that's a link to the Wikipedia page. That's not my term. That's the official term. They don't sue to try to get the copyright. They use copyright law to try to get money out of your pocket. For nearly all authors, going after the author's LLC is such an uninviting target that no lawyer wants to take the case. Attorneys call these kinds of cases trying to squeeze blood out of a stone. The harder they squeeze, the more blood comes out. But when they take away their hand, they realize all the blood was coming from their own hand. No one wants to spend $100,000 to win a lawsuit that only brings in $5,000 in return. That is truly blood from a stone. So bottom line, the main benefit of having an LLC is that it keeps trolls from wanting to sue you in the first place. The best way to win in court is to stay out of court. Court battles are a little bit like the game of thermonuclear war. The only way to win is not to play. So if you have an LLC, if trolls see that you have an LLC, they're much more likely to leave you alone. But that's not the only benefit of having a LLC. And to find out about the next benefit, let me play a listener question. Hi, Thomas. Fellow Texan here. I love the podcast. You've taught me a lot over the years. Here's my question. For indie authors, does setting up an LLC help hide the fact that your book is self-published? If so, does this increase the odds of your book getting into bookstores and libraries that tend to avoid stalking indie authors? Thanks. The short answer is yes, it does help hide the fact that you're independently published if that is your goal. And there has been a boom of small and small to medium sized publishing companies in the last 10 years. With print-on-demand technology and ebook technology, it no longer costs a million dollars to start a publishing company. And it's very hard for bookstores and libraries to tell the difference between an indie author with a publishing company that's named something that's not linked to the indie author and a small publishing company, especially because Often the indie authors are making more money than the small publishing companies are. And that's not uncommon for an indie author to be making hundreds of thousands of dollars while a small publisher may be struggling to make a few tens of thousands of dollars. And so you really can hide the fact that you are an indie author if you want to. Now, hiding that fact will help you get past the bias, right? When you're calling a bookstore, you're hustling your book and you're trying to get on the bookshelves. If you say, hi, this is John Smith with Acme Publishing. I want to talk to you about book title. They're more likely to call you back than you saying, hi, this is John Smith. I'm an independently published author and I want to talk to you about shelving my book. But it doesn't replace the fact that you still need to call them on the phone. You see, to get shelved at bookstores, you have to have conversations with the book buyers. There's no button that you can push to automatically get shelved. Sometimes you still have to pay money just like the big dogs, right? So it doesn't magically put you on the bookstore, but it helps you get around some bias that you see in parts of the industry. And that bias is still around, which is unfortunate. Now, I've talked with indie authors who've used this tactic to successfully get their books into supposedly indie free areas. (laughs) In fact, I was talking with one author who even got Library Journal to review his book. And supposedly they don't like reviewing indie books, and yet they reviewed his book. 
And he chalked up that success to the fact that he had an LLC and they didn't realize his book was independently published. Now, the book also has to look professionally published. And I encourage you to listen to my episodes on book covers. There's a lot of common mistakes that indie authors make with their book covers. I can spot an indie book cover right away or I can tell whether or not they've listened to my episodes on book covers because there's little things particularly around the barcode that indies get wrong every time (laughs) so if you don't have shelving instructions if you don't have the price there if you just copy and pasted the barcode image it's gonna look indie published because traditional publishers always put shelving instructions by the barcode now i will say uh, that more militant indie authors are very proud of the fact that they're indie published and they don't hide it right john locke his llc is called john locke books LLC. Susan May Warren, her company is called Susan May Warren Fiction, right? She's not hiding the fact that she's independently published. And they're making lots of money. They're very successful, both of these authors, uh, with their indie publishing. And they didn't have to hide the fact that they're indie published to be successful. So my advice is to either go with a name that's completely different from you and your book. So don't, you know, if your book is called Love Better, don't name your company Love Better Books, LLC. (laughs) You know, go either totally different or go with something that's very obviously you. Coffee is best either hot or cold. So if you're going to create a company name, create a company name. And if you're going to name it after you, name it after you. Now, another benefit of an LLC is that it helps with estate planning. American copyright law is an absolute mess. It is designed to benefit the 0.01% at the top at the expense of the 99.99% at the bottom. And what is resulting is that a lot of books are getting orphaned because there's this period of time after the author dies where the copyright continues to exist. And that period of time is 70 years. So if you live for another 50 years, your copyright won't expire until 21 46. Now, if we go back that amount of time, let me just ask, do you know who all of your ancestors were in 1896? I don't. <laughs> I definitely don't know who all of my ancestors were in 1896. I couldn't name a single one of them. And yet, with the way the copyright law is currently, the copyrights from those dead ancestors, right? These are like two or three or four great, great grandfathers or grandmothers those copyrights still exist. The books become what is called an orphaned book. And if you're not careful, your books could become orphaned. So one way to help mitigate this is to put all of the copyrights for all of the books that you write into one LLC. You're kind of putting them in a package that can then be passed from descendant to descendant during that 70-year period where the copyrights are still valid. And this is particularly helpful if you have multiple children, right? And you're wanting to share the money with them or or share the copyright intellectual property with them. An LLC can have multiple members. So you can give the LLC to multiple of your children and some can have more control. Some can have less control. It's very flexible in this way. Now, definitely talk to an estate planner if you're putting together a will and you have an LLC, but having that LLC, having that Uh, basket that owns all of your publishing assets will really help and it will make uh, the estate planning better. I will say the other option is just in your will to have your books go into the public domain. So just because the law says your book's copyright lasts for 70 years doesn't mean that you have to follow that. You have control and you can choose to have your book go into the public domain, which will guarantee that it will live on forever. 
Because once a book is in the public domain, people can share it and save it into various online libraries, and your book will be preserved for posterity and for future historians. If you want to influence future historians, having your book in the public domain will definitely help that. The final advantage to having an LLC, there's so many advantages. I don't know why so many authors put off getting an LLC. The final advantage is tax flexibility. So as my dad, the CPA, likes to say, Congress never got around to writing a chapter of the tax code for LLCs. <laughs> it's just too much work. So instead, LLCs have this really special designation where you get to pick which chapter of the tax code you want to apply to your company. I don't know of any other legal entity that gets to choose how it gets taxed. Normally, Congress chooses how you get taxed, but not for an LLC. The LLC chooses how it gets taxed. When you fill out a W-9, there's a special checkbox for LLC, and then there's a second checkbox for what kind of LLC it is, and it's all the other business entities. Your LLC can be taxed as if it were a sole proprietorship. Your LLC can be taxed as if it were an S-corp or a C-corp or a partnership. This is an incredible amount of flexibility, and it's one of the reasons why authors love having an LLC, because you can have your liability protection plus the taxation that's most favorable for you for your situation. Now, it's not all butterflies and roses in the world of LLC, and there are some downsides to owning an LLC. The first downside of owning an LLC is that they are not free. They cost money to set up, and they cost money to maintain. Uh, Most states have some kind of fee or tax every year that LLCs have to pay to stay active. So it's not just a free thing that you get to do. And I will say this is one of the kind of big moments in your career as an author that marks your transition from being a hobbyist who's unwilling to spend money and becoming somebody who's a professional who is willing to spend money. And I will say It's okay to be a hobbyist, right? If you want to write with the word processor that came on your computer and you don't want to spend money on software like Publisher Rocket or Scrivener and you don't want to pay for research like Kalytix and you don't want to pay to go to conferences or take courses and you just want to write because writing is fun for you or it helps you work through your emotions, that's totally cool. And you don't need an LLC, right? If you're not planning to publish or if you're not planning to publish anytime soon, there's no need to start spending money or learning about LLCs. But once you're ready to start taking that step to metamorphosize from an amateur into a professional, forming an LLC is one of those key elements of that step. And I will say, I only took like one or two weeks of Latin. I did not like Latin. My mom really tried to get me to learn Latin as a homeschool mom, and I fought her tooth and nail. But I do remember the first class where we learned to conjugate the word amor. Uh, And we also learned that the word amateur comes from the word amor. So amor is to love, and an amateur is someone who does something because they love it. And we also learned that professional comes from the Latin word pecuniam, which means money. So what's the difference between an amateur and a professional? Amateurs get paid in love. Professionals get paid in money. (laughs) So it doesn't mean professionals don't love what they do, but the word professional literally used to mean back in the olden days, it's just meant money. Another downside of having an LLC is that they do make filing your taxes more complicated, right? If you're the kind of person who just goes to Walmart and get with your W-2 and gets your tax return filled out for free, 
and LLC will make that harder to do. In fact, Walmart may not <laughs> do your taxes for free if you have an LLC. I, I don't know. I don't get my taxes done at Walmart. So you're going to need to, you'll still be able to do your own taxes, but you're going to need to pay for tax software like TurboTax to help you fill out your return. You're not going to be able to do the just like click five buttons and have your tax return done tools. That said, one big advantage of having an LLC is that it is flexible in how you get taxed, like I talked about. So more complicated can mean less overall tax liability, uh, where you're not required to pay as much in taxes. And I will say there's a lot of strategy in, you know, picking, you know, how do I want to be taxed? Do I want to be taxed as a sole proprietorship? Do I want to be taxed as an S corp? And I'm, I'll talk a little bit about taxation. Some of you had questions about taxes, but I will say if you're wanting help determining the best strategy for you, you owe it to yourself to talk to a CPA familiar with the publishing business. But another option and a great supplement to that is my course, the tax and business guide for authors. And I made that course with my dad who is a CPA and he's been working with authors since before I was born. So he has a lot of experience. And one of the benefits of that course, one of the things that's bundled in is that we have the famous tax cases or, or and some of the obscure tax court cases where judges are determining, you know, whether an author is eligible for deductions, whether an author is considered a, a business or not. And these tax cases, when we have the PDFs in the course, are really helpful to hand to your in-person CPA because it will help dispel a lot of myths. There's a lot of advice, like an author has to make money in the first five years to be eligible for deductions. Not true. And we have the tax court case right there in the course. And the course also goes through all the basics and walks you through, you know, what you need to do to be eligible for deductions, what kind of deductions you can take, how to take them, and so much more. I also have some sessions I added on putting together a business plan. It's basically kind of comprehensive training on taxes and business for authors. And it's one of our less expensive courses. So I do encourage you to check that course out. I'll have a link in the show notes. You can also get, I bought a special website for it as well. It's author taxtips.com if you want to check that course out. So if you have a lot of tax questions, I really do encourage you to check out that course. It will help you make the right decisions so that you only pay your fair share and no more. So that's really this second downside of forming an LLC is that it makes your taxes more complicated. It doesn't make your taxes any higher. Again, because LLCs, they can be taxed however you want them to be taxed. So you can be taxed the exact same way you're being taxed now just with the liability protection of having an LLC, uh, which is great. <laughs> it's, uh, it's so rare that governments give people choices or freedom uh, like this. And, you know, maybe just because they're lazy, but hey, I'll take the freedom however I can get it. Now, when I was uh, preparing this episode, I threw out and asked on authormedia.social, which is our new social network just for authors, if anybody had any questions about LLCs, forming LLCs. And I got a ton of comments. And many of you asked about when to form LLCs. In fact, uh, I'll play one of those questions for you right now. Hi, Thomas. This is Shauna Lettler. In regard to forming an LLC, I was wondering, is there an income threshold where an author should form an LLC? So, Shauna, it's not just a matter of how much money you're making as an author. It's also a matter of how much personal wealth you have to protect. So how much money do you and your spouse have? Uh, this includes IRAs, investments, property, etc. Now, The more money you have personally, the more of a target you are for lawsuit trolls and copyright trolls specifically. And this includes things like the value of your 
car, the value of your house. And it's not just a matter of fact, it's also a matter of perception. Right? Some people are very good at looking wealthier than they really are. They drive a nice car, they live in what looks to be a very nice house, and they fund it with a lot of debt. And these high debt households are real big targets for lawsuit trolls who don't know how broke they really are. So another way to think about this is how easy would it be for you to go bankrupt, right? For an author with no money and no assets, if that author were to get sued, they could just file for bankruptcy. The bankruptcy would most likely clear the judgment of the lawsuit and they wouldn't lose anything. And the person suing them, even if they won the court case, would get nothing, right? Because the bankruptcy washes the slate clean. On the other hand, if going bankrupt is painful or would be painful for you, the, the more painful going bankrupt would be for you, the more likely you are to need an LLC. So there's not a, like a specific threshold of like, oh, well, if you made $500 last year, then you need to get an LLC. And I don't have a number like that. It's more of because it's not really about just how much money you're making with your book. It's also about how much money you're protecting and how much of your spouse's money that you're protecting. Another way to help judge whether or not and when you should form an LLC is how close you are to publication. So if you are publishing traditionally, I recommend that you have your LLC set up at least a year ahead of publication of your book. You don't want to be busy dealing with entity formation while you're planning your launch. Plus, it takes a while for all the paperwork to go through. So LLCs don't have social security numbers. They have EINs, which is an employer identification number. And your publisher is going to need that number to pay you your advance. <laughs> so if you want to receive that money into your LLC, you need to have the LLC formed and set up with the EIN in hand before you get the advance from your publisher. So that, I hope that helps you know if you're publishing traditionally. If you're publishing independently, I recommend forming your LLC about six months before you plan to hire your first editor or first coach or first professional. So you want all payments to employees and to contractors to come out of your LLC. You don't want a disgruntled cover designer suing you personally and taking away your car. <laughs> so you start opening yourself up for liability protection when you start hiring people. So if you're planning to publish independently, that means forming the LLC a little bit sooner. Because before your book is ready, you're hiring people to help you and you want to have the LLC to do that. And one of the things that an LLC can have is a separate bank account, which I definitely recommend. Even for a hobbyist, I recommend having a separate bank account for all of your publishing income and publishing expenses. It helps you keep your own finances straight. And finally, I just want to say sooner is better than later when it comes to forming an LLC. In general, it takes a while for the paperwork to go through, but everyone is willing to have the paperwork go through faster you pay them more. And this is true with you know, companies like LegalZoom that will help you set up your LLC, right? It's uh, $80 or $100 to set up your LLC if you're not in a rush, but it's $300 if you are in a rush. But also uh, sometimes your state will have the, here's the price if you're not in a rush and here's the much higher price if you are in a rush. So don't be in a rush and <laughs> save yourself a lot of money. In fact, you could potentially save yourself a lot of money by not being a rush. So go ahead and start forming your LLC sooner rather than later. So you may be wondering, okay, so how do I form an LLC? And I'm convinced I need an LLC. How do I do that? Well, it's actually really easy. You just go to LegalZoom 
LegalZoom.com. I filed to become an affiliate with LegalZoom. I don't know uh, that my application with them is pending, uh, but they're who I recommend. And if I do have an affiliate link, I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes once the application goes through. But I used LegalZoom for one of my LLCs that I created, and I used a lawyer uh, for the other. And I will tell you, I was happier with the version from LegalZoom than I was with the lawyer. And LegalZoom is way cheaper than hiring a lawyer. Filing paperwork shouldn't cost hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Uh, one commenter at authormedia.social said she paid $800 to form an LLC. And she's like, tell people that there's a cheaper way. So I hear you and I'm telling people there is a cheaper way. And that cheaper way is LegalZoom. It's 80 bucks or 90 bucks. And, you know, the price may fluctuate. For those of you listening far in the future, if inflation continues, maybe it's $100. I don't know. But it's way worth it <laughs> to have somebody walk you through the process. Because I will say, I did try to do it myself, filling out the paperwork myself. And I didn't know the answers to all the questions. And I ended up getting it rejected. So the state of Texas sent it back. And I didn't answer the questions correctly. <laughs> so they sent the paperwork back. And so I don't recommend doing it yourself for free. Because you still have to pay your state filing fees. And so what LegalZoom will do is you go, you click, I want to form an LLC. They'll ask you a bunch of questions. They'll guide you to what the answers likely are. And there's lots of help documentation uh, right around it. So they're like 95% of people select this option, which is really helpful. So you're like, oh, okay, that's probably me. And, And you go through, it doesn't take very long. You click next a bunch of times and then you're done. It's really very easy to form an LLC. And it really is that simple. Then it's a matter of waiting, waiting for the paperwork to go through. And I'll tell you, it's a lot of waiting. So start the process before you need the LLC. Uh, don't be in a rush. All right. So that's hopefully that gives you a good overview of LLCs. I do want to answer some of the additional questions that came in. So I got a ton of questions on authormedia.social. I tried to answer most of them kind of in the overview, but there's a few uh, that I should address directly. So here's the first question. Hey, Thomas, I have a question. What is the difference between an LLC, a sole proprietorship with a DBA, and an S-Corp? A sole proprietorship is what you have by default. Or put a better way, it's what you are by default. If you run a lemonade stand out in front of your house, you are a sole proprietor. You, the human being, are the entity. (laughs) You, the human being, have 100% liability for everything that you do. It's like being legally naked. And getting a DBA or an assumed name just means that you have a different name that people refer to you. So it's your lemonade stand, your name is John Smith, and the Smith, you have Smith lemonade stand out front, that's your DBA. The DBA doesn't provide any legal protection. It's just another way of having another name. Some states don't use the term DBA or doing business as. Instead, they use the phrase assumed name. It's the same idea. It's just like a second name. It's like a nickname, but like a legal nickname. Sole proprietors don't have to file a separate tax return. They just list the business activity, the income, and the expenses on the Schedule C of their 1040 tax return. So they're able to count expenses of the business as tax deductions against their personal income of their other business. So maybe you you have a day job and you also have your lemonade stand. Uh, And an S corporation offers the same legal liability protection as a C corporation. So that's what a sole proprietorship is. And I see some authors referring to sole proprietorship and DBA as the same thing. And that's, they're not at all the same thing because any entity can get a DBA. I'll talk more about that in a second. So what is an S-corporation or an S-corp? 
an S corp offers the same liability protection as a C corp. Right? These are the classic traditional uh, corporate forms. And if you ever want your company to be traded in the stock exchange, it should be a C corp. C corps are the most fiddly. They're the most complicated in terms of all of the rules and paperwork that you have to file. I don't know any authors that form a C corp. There's a bunch of tax disadvantages to having a C corp if you're just one person. The biggest of which is that they get taxed twice. <laughs> you have to pay taxes for the C corp and then you have to pay taxes again when you bring that money into your personal account. S corporations allow for pass through taxation which means that you only get uh, charged your taxes once. You only have to pay your taxes once, which is really nice. But they're still more fiddly, and they still have more rules than an LLC. And so most authors don't form an S-corp. If they want to be taxed as an S-corp, they form an LLC, and then they select S-corp as the way that they are taxed. Now, there are other more complicated differences, and if your CPA tells you just you need to do an S-corp instead, do what your CPA tells you. But I will say that most authors form LLCs. In fact, when I was in business school, uh, one of my classes that I took my senior year, the professor just had all of her CEO friends come and give guest lectures. So every every day in class was a different CEO talking about how he ran his business. And it was one of the best classes I took in business school. And one of them was a serial entrepreneur. He'd started, I don't know, a dozen different companies. And I remember him just saying, just trust me, LLC is the best option all the time, every time it's what you should form. Now, I don't agree with him completely, but I do agree with him mostly that for most, uh, especially for authors and for most small businesses, LLCs are the best option. Uh, So from my perspective, unless your attorney tells you differently, LLC is the option to go with because it gives you the same liability protection as an S corp or a C corp but with much greater flexibility and with less fiddly rules, less paperwork, less hassle, which is a big benefit. Because if you're an author, you didn't go into writing a book because you wanted to form a business entity and be a business owner. You did it because you want to write. So having it be as simple as possible is a real benefit. What's the benefit of pass-through taxation for authors? I see two benefits of pass-through taxation for authors. Uh, The first benefit is that during the early years of your writing career, your expenses are going to exceed your income. You're buying lots of courses. You're going to conferences. You're hiring coaching. You're hiring editors to help you. And all of this is business expenses, money going out. And at first, it's no money coming in, right? Because you don't have a book out. And during those early years, if your business, if you're following the procedure that we lay out in the course and you have a business plan, you can count those expenses as business expenses against your taxes, which is great. (laughs) It allows during those lean early years for your overall tax burden to be reduced, which is really nice (laughs) because, you know, if you're married and your spouse is helping pay for your hobby, quote unquote, the fact that your hobby can reduce the overall family tax burden is a big benefit. (laughs) If you're, again, it gets complicated, depends on whether you're married filing jointly and or married filing separately. And for those fiddly details, I'm not the guy to talk to, (laughs) but in general, it's nice to be able to count those expenses against your the income of your day job during those early lean years. Now, the second benefit is that you only have to pay the taxes on the income that the LLC brings in once. 
So entities like C corporations that don't provide pass-through taxation have to pay taxes twice. And in the United States, we have one of the highest corporate tax rates in the world. It used to be the highest, but it was reduced a couple of years ago. So now we're just in the top 10% or top, top 15% of tax rates. And there's talk about it going back up. And so paying that corporate tax rate and then paying it again or paying a different tax when you bring it in as a dividend is a really, it's a, it's the biggest tax burden you could possibly have. And it's really unnecessary if you're an author. There's no reason to form a big business. It's kind of like buying an 18-wheeler when you're just trying to load up groceries from the grocery store. <laughs> like there's all this cost to having an 18-wheeler and there's no sense buying that. And paying for it if you're not going to use it, right? There's a time to have an 18-wheeler. And if you're wanting to form a, a publishing company that's traded on the stock exchange and you have hundreds of employees and you want to be able to give stock options to your executives, right, then maybe have a more complicated entity. But if you're just an independent author or you're a, a traditional author and you're planning to write, you know, a dozen books in your career or two dozen books in your career, you don't need that. You just get an LLC. Now, another question that a lot of people asked is what's the difference between a DBA and an LLC? So I'm going to explain this again because this is one of probably the biggest confusion that I see when authors are talking to each other about their businesses. They're like, oh, I don't have an LLC. I have a DBA as if it's either or. So DBA stands for doing business as. So like I said, some states call this an assumed name. My company that I use to do this podcast is Castle Media Group LLC. And I have a DBA called Author Media. <laughs> so I've, most of the time when you're interacting, you're seeing Author Media. And that is a legal name for the LLC Castle Media Group. Now, you can also create a DBA as a sole proprietor. But it, again, it doesn't provide any legal protection. Uh, but it can make you look a bit more professional. And one author asked, do I need to include LLC at the end of my company name every time? And I did some research on this uh, because I was about to say, no, you don't have to, but it, it looks like it depends on the state. So some states require you to include LLC every time. But the easy way around this is to just get an assumed name, right? So I don't say Author Media LLC because it's not. It's Castle Media Group LLC is the company name, but Author Media is the assumed name uh, that Castle Media Group has. So you don't have to, but you will have to pay a little bit extra to get an assumed name if you don't want to include LLC at the end every time. But I will say, if you're going for that credibility strategy, you know, if your company name is, you know, Acme Publishing LLC, that that's some good reputation <laughs> that you have. And you can use that as a traditional author. You can use that as an independent author. So I don't see the LLC as a bad thing. Uh, if anything, it's a piece of credibility saying that you're for real and you're not just a, a hobbyist playing around. So and, and that's like saying it looks goofy to have LLC at the end. It's like somebody saying, oh, having wearing glasses looks goofy. Like, no, it doesn't. It makes you look smarter. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with, with wearing glasses. If you have more than one person in your entity, what's the difference between an LLC and a partnership? Why should I go with either one? This is an important Point And I'm putting it here because you may have a partnership. I'm not forming a partnership. Well, you might be. <laughs> so general partnerships come with something called joint and several liability, which is the worst. It's like co-signing a loan with your partner, but for your whole business, for all the liabilities of your business. Or to put this into biblical terms, partners become surety for each other. 
which is, as King Solomon would say, the height of foolishness. He has so many passages, so many proverbs about what a foolish thing it is to become surety for somebody else. And here's the worst part of a general partnership is that you can form one without realizing it. Uh, You don't like file to create a general partnership. You just become one by acting like a partner with someone like, say, independently co-authoring a book with them and having a bank account together. So if you did that, you could be considered to be a general partner with that person, even though you didn't specifically decide we're going to be a partner together. So at least one of you had better have an LLC and you'd better have a contract defining your relationship as something other than being partners. You're like, why is this so bad? Well, if your partner, if your co-author were to get into a car accident on the way to a book signing, the injured party could go after you for 100% of the damages, even though you were not in the car. (laughs) Why? Because you are partners and you have joint and several liability. My business law professor shared horror story after horror story of cases that she had been in of general partners who lost their shirts because of bad things their partner did or accidents their partner made. And she basically made us raise our hands and pledge never to form a general partnership, either on purpose or by accident. (laughs) It was I took that class 15 years ago and I can still remember the horror stories of people's lives who were ruined because of nothing they did, but just because they by accident had a general partnership. The only time a general partnership ever makes sense is if you're already married to your general partner. And then only maybe I'm still scarred from those horror stories. Don't form a general partnership. But you're like, but my CPA says that uh, being taxed as a partner is the best way for me to be taxed. Well, I have some good news. You can form a multi-member LLC and it can be taxed like a partnership with all of the liability protection that an LLC provides. So there's no reason to ever form a partnership. If you're independently publishing, you can form one by accident. It's less likely to happen by accident if you are publishing traditionally because your contract from your traditional publisher will define the relationship (laughs) and you're gonna be a, uh, you'll have a relationship with that publisher. So you get a little bit of protection from them and you're less likely to accidentally form a partnership. But the law here, from my understanding, is it's a little bit like marriage. So there's two ways to get married. You can have a ceremony and file the paperwork with the county clerk, and you have a marriage certificate and you're married. But there's another way to get married, and that is to have what's called a common law marriage. If you present yourself as being married with someone long enough, you're married, whether or not you have a marriage certificate or not, right? You're married in some other country. You're married on a boat. You don't have paperwork, but you present yourself as married. You are, in the eyes of the law, married. <laughs> and and you can get divorced. And I know people who never had a wedding, but they did have a divorce. And so it, marriages, general partnerships, very similar, actually, in many ways. And uh, if you're going to do it, do it on purpose. <laughs> That's my advice. So if you're wanting more help with this, I do want to encourage you to check out the tax and business guide for authors. We go through in this course, 19 tax deductions that you can take advantage of. We talk about how to reduce your likelihood of being audited by the IRS, how the IRS determines whether or not you're a business, and just a lot of help to help educate you. 
It doesn't replace needing a CPA, but if you go through this course, you'll be much more educated. You'll be able to ask your CPA much more intelligent questions. You'll be able to buy less time potentially from your CPA, educating you on the basics, and it will help you understand kind of how the tax structure works. And it's not my expertise you're leaning on. It's my dad's expertise, and he knows a lot. Like I said, he's been working with authors for a very long time, and he's really focused on authors, screenwriters, Uh, People in creative fields from all over the country uh, come to him uh, when they're needing help because he and other CPAs ask him questions when they have author clients uh, because they know he knows authors really well. And you can find that course at authortaxtips.com. And while it is one of our less expensive courses, if you're a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast, you can save 50% off the price of the course. And so it pays to become a Novel Marketing patron before signing up for the Tax and Business Guide for Authors. You can become a patron for as little as $3 a month. You can cancel at any time and you get a bonus episode every month as well as exclusive discounts and a whole lot more. Depending on your patronage level, maybe a whole lot more. So anyway, I do encourage you to check that out if you're wanting more help. And speaking of patrons, our featured patron today is Daniel Bishop, author of Rally Point, Place of Refuge. Leaf and Diana Joe are devastated after she miscarries after so many years of trying to get pregnant. The miscarriage becomes a catalyst for their roller coaster journey to becoming a foster family. Daniel Bishop, thank you so much for being a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast. I really do appreciate your support. If you have a question you want me to answer in a future episode, uh, there's a voicemail line. You can hear your voice on this show. All you have to do is ask a question. If I use it for a future episode, you get to hear your voice on the show. You can find that at authormedia.com slash contact, or just click contact at authormedia.com. And a quick update uh, for those of you who've been listening to the show for a while, you know that uh, my grandmother died in the winter storms that we had here in Texas uh, a few months ago. And because of the winter storms and, and because of COVID, we haven't really been able to gather a whole lot as a family to mourn. So we have a big family reunion planned. And we're going to be traveling out of town uh, to go to that. So there's going to be no episode for the next couple of weeks. I'm going to try to do some reruns. So you may see some older kind of best of episodes uh, that I'll put in the feed. But if you're wondering, where is Thomas? (laughs) I'm going to be on vacation with my family. And uh, we will be spending time with my big family remembering my grandmother. So that's where I will be. I'll be back in August. And I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your July. And I hope that you live long and prosper. Oh, I shouldn't forget this episode's audio was edited by William Umstadt and the blog post is by Shauna Lettler. I am Thomas Umstadt Jr., your host. And if you want to find that blog version with the affiliate links, if I get them, and just also links to the various other things that I was doing as research, you can find all of that at authormedia.com forward slash 290 for episode 290. And thank you for listening and live long and prosper.